podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode of Red Inca, we take a look at the bowling of Akshar Patel under an actual microscope. And I do mean that fairly literally, as we have a scientist to come on and take a look at Akshar's data. Hi, I'm Himanish Ganju. I'm a graduate student in uh, cosmology, astrophysics, and I work on the early universe. We look at his height, angle, spin, lack of flight, sweeps, types of left arm finger spin, DRS, drift, failure to spin away, and Axar's, I don't know, hang time. We've got you here today to talk about Akshar Patel because you wrote a fascinating piece. In fact, I'm going to go out there and say it should be the future of cricket writing your piece, but it won't be because, as you and I have already discussed, cricket boards are already taking all their information offline. But it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Let's start with Akshar Patel. When he came in, I said on TalkSport that he was the Walmart Ravi Jadeja, which upset people a lot. But what I meant by that was he did everything that Ravi Jadeja did, just not quite as good. Uh, Fielding, batting, bowling, he had all of those sorts of skills. He currently has 36 test wickets from five matches at a Lomanesque average of 11.86. Mind you, we also live in a world where Scott Boland and Kyle Jamieson exist, but I'm assuming it's that very low average of Akshar Patel that probably first got you interested in how on earth he's taken this many wickets. So yeah, so like when he came in, he was supposed to be this limited overs data, right? And you wouldn't expect him to be a test prospect because he hadn't played many first-class matches in the three years before his debut. So you wouldn't expect anything from him, right? And suddenly he has these 35, 36 wickets in five matches, which is mind-boggling. And he didn't have anything special. There was nothing exceptional about him. He wasn't turning the ball too much. He didn't have some gorgeous loop. So what was it about him? And people got talking about it. And having access to this kind of data for the first time, I was very excited to sort of prod into that and pry into it and try to see what happens. And I found this article. So... (laughs) That's what got me fascinated, you know, that I have this data and people are talking about it, so why not? Yeah, no, definitely. I think if you look at left arm finger spin, there's sort of a couple of different kinds that we've had throughout cricket. So you've got this sort of Monty Panasar, Daniel Vittori taller left arm finger spinners. Mm-hmm. You get quite close to the stumps and rag the ball away. You've then got that Shakib, Jadeja, lower arm, shorter guys sort of bowling. You've got someone like Paul Harris and Ashley Giles who are that Western style of left arm finger spin, right? Mm-hmm. Someone like Karath is probably, because he's so good, he's probably a combination really of what Monty, Vittori, yeah. Shakib and Jadeja do, right? Akshar, it was quite obvious early on. And, you know, we, I was commentating with Mark Butcher and Darren Goff and Mark Nicholas and everyone was saying the same thing. He's just so wide on the crease. That was the first thing that we all noticed. But the other thing was that he's actually tall. And it, I didn't realize until you wrote this piece that his release height is basically the same as Kyle Jamieson's. Yeah, so that's the first anomaly, right? If you go round down, you sort of cut down on the height you release the ball from. But because he's tall and he has these huge arms, he can afford to be wider than most and taller than most, which is like complete freak, right? So yeah, so that was the first thing I noticed in my graphs. You say taller than most. Online, I can only find him at 183 centimeters. He looks a little mm-hmm. taller than that to me. But yeah. he must have an incredibly long wingspan. He must yeah. have a, a, a what they call in the NBA a positive wingspan because positive wingspan, right? Yeah, because there's no way that he doesn't have a few extra centimeters there because you couldn't get up to Kyle Jamieson's height or Jason Holder's height. Yeah. I know fastballs collapse more than spinners, but even so, 
We have had that before. And because of this extra high and this high release point, to start with, you can't sweep him. The first person yeah. we really noticed was that Joe Root was basically killing all spinners, wasn't he? And then he meets Akshar Patel and he's completely nullified. Yeah. And he got the edge and he got out. Yeah, so taking away the sweep shot, if Akshar Patel did nothing else, taking away the sweep shot is already a huge advantage for him, isn't it? Right. And the other thing is that you don't often expect the ball to come from that location, from that height. So mm. when you train for playing spin, right, you haven't seen that release point before. So that's a problem for the batter. First up, like even if you don't consider the bounce itself, just tracking the ball from that wide and that higher point is a problem when you play spin. Yeah, I was trying to think. So obviously we had Vittori and we've had tall finger spinners before, but most of them have been closer to the crease. So coming that wide, it's that combination of those two things where right. if you look at Mitchell Johnson or Lassif Malinga, we notice it more with pace bowling, right? Because yeah. it, it, it has a bigger thing. But we know now from Akshar that we're seeing something quite similar there. But when we talk about wide, what, what I love about your piece is, again, we know now he releases from where Kyle Jameson does. But the other things that we know is that he releases most of his balls from 1 to 1.4 meters from middle stump. Whereas most right. slow left-arm bowlers bowl from 50 centimeters to a meter from the middle stump. Right, so that's very wide. Yeah, he's like where their most narrow ball is compared to his widest ball is almost a meter in difference. Right. Yeah, so that's such an anomaly. And because of that, there's a knock-on effect because of the angle he gets, which we'll talk about, I guess. So mm. that's the real well, thing. Yeah, the, the other thing that I thought from that specifically was that, okay, so he's bowling wider. And my first thought was, well, why hasn't anyone tried this before? And I'd be interested to get your thoughts yeah. on this. My guess is that it's because we didn't have DRS before. Left-arm finger spinners used to get really close to the stumps, a bit like outswing bowlers used to get really close to the stumps because you wanted the ball to pitch on middle and off mm. and straighten from there and always keep LBW in play and then you keep the outside edge in play. Now we know that spinners are hitting the stumps way more than we ever thought before, which means that you can have a real outlier like Akshar Patel come in and he'll still get LBWs because of DRS and also because umpires are better now. So my guess is that he's coming wider because the game has changed and he's just a, like, I, I'm not saying he did it tactically, I'm just, but he's a lucky recipient of how much the game has changed there. There's also another component there, right? So if you bowl from that wide, your balls will not pitch within the stumps. And that's what happened mm. to Akshar. But as a left-arm spinner, your balls will turn or like hold their line, right? But his balls don't turn. So because he doesn't turn the ball too much, he can afford to go wide and still get those balls in LBWs into play compared to conventional spinners. Yeah, so the balls make sense. But think about the LBWs. Think about what you just said, right? Let's go back. How old are you? 29. Yeah, uh, you're not that old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you watch cricket in the 90s, especially, so the pre-DRS era, right? If a left-arm finger spinner is pitching the ball outside off stump, it doesn't matter if the ball was going straight on. No umpire right. in the True. world. So, so you do need that sort of combination yeah. of stuff. Again, that's really interesting. But to go forward with what you've said there about the lack of spin, it's really mm -hmm. interesting. Essentially, what we know about him from having watched him bowl, it's only five tests, but we saw a lot of replays, especially because um, he took a lot of wickets is he basically has what you would say is almost like an undercutting ball, which again is a very modern thing. You know, Graham Swan mm -hmm. and R. Ashwin certainly, if not pioneered that, but they made it a lot more popular again because it works with DRS. Right. Yeah. But he does that a lot. And according to you, he spun the ball the least amount of any spinner or left arm finger spinner in Asia. Is that right? Right. So I had numbers for India. So I compared him with bowlers in India. And so the most satisfying graph in my whole piece for me 
was a plot of the drift versus the turn. So it's important because this is something we know conventionally in cricket, that side spin is the thing which generates both turn and drift. Yep. And the first thing I plotted was that for all spinners and they were correlated. So I was happy with that. But for the same amount of drift, Akshar gets less turn than the average spinner. <laughs> so he puts the revs on the ball because he's getting the drift due to the revs. But somehow his ball wobbles or he undercuts it like a saucer. So finally, he doesn't get as much turn. And I have the numbers in my piece, I think. And he gets 2.72 degrees of outward turn on his wicket-taking balls. Jareja gets 3.8. Steve O'Keefe gets 4.3. Monty Panisar is 4.9 and so on. So he turns the ball, but not very much. And coupled with the angle, that's lethal, right? With that 2.7, I'm trying to think, that's probably what you would expect a part-time finger spinner to do. Yeah. So that's the amount of turn that I'm trying to think of a name here. You know, someone like Fabian Allen or Akil Hassan. Mm -hmm. I, I know Akil Hassan's not a part-timer, but I watched them recently. They put revs on the ball. They're still spinning yeah. the ball. But 2.7 is really probably what you would expect for Akil Hassan. So that actually, right. it's probably more like a limited over specialist kind of bowler, right? And that's what he is, right? Yeah, and you've got Jack Leach at five degrees. <laughs> And Pragyan Oja, he has a name from the past for everyone, but he's at 6.7 degrees. Like we're talking... Small sample size, but yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. he's not even related to those sorts of things. So again, we just keep finding things that are a little bit different. Now here was the thing. It's funny that you thought that was the big thing. Here's the big thing for me, that the minute you said it, I was like, I cannot believe I didn't notice this. And it's still annoying me that I hadn't noticed this before you'd done this. But because of his angle... And because of the lack of spin, two things I noticed, his balls, even though they spin, they still go towards the right-hander's stumps. That is incredible, isn't it? Right. That is the anomaly. So people think he bowls arm balls, but he doesn't bowl arm balls. He turns yeah. them outward. But because he gets a little less turn and his angle is so sharp, they continue going inward. And that's why he gets those balls in LBWs. And that was fascinating for me. Like I have a plot of that as well in my piece. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things you talked about, which is something that I've written about a lot too, is you have to understand what a professional batter thinks at this point, right. right? Let's pretend one of us was talented enough to be a professional batter and we had years and years of facing left arm finger spin. You have all that training and you're playing in this game and a left arm finger spin is coming on and you could see the revs that he's putting on the ball. You are instantly going to play slightly outside the line for that ball. Yeah. There's no way that you'll follow the angle at all. Exactly. Now, occasionally, you are aware that he might hit the straight bit of the leather. He bowls with a bit of mixed seam, doesn't he? So occasionally, you know that's going to happen. But even then, you think it's not going to be that much. The problem here is, even when he spins the ball a long way, unless it's like day yeah. four or day five, it's still going on the inside of your bat. So even though you are technically setting up perfectly for that, he's still beating right. you on the inside edge over and over again, isn't he? And you can't help it because you have that training, right? So here I have a table of this median deviation between pitching and stumps. And his distance between the ball pitching and the ball at the stumps plane is 18.3 centimeters inward. Where for like Jack Leach, it's minus 8 centimeters. So that's outward. So he's yep. completely like moving into the batter no matter what you do. And you can't help it because you've been trained to play the ball going outward when you see it like that, right? So it's kind of impossible to set up for that. Yeah, so there's 27 centimeters. Is that, oh, wait, I'm trying to have a look. Was it 18.3 and minus 8.5? So, I mean, that's like more than two bats put together, isn't it? That's yeah. a big, yeah. big space. And as you said, if all your training is kicking in, and also we know that there have been anomalous bowlers before. So one reason that 
people had trouble with neurally very early on was the leg spin factor. They saw his wrist doing all this work. Mm. And they thought it would go out. Yeah. Yeah. There was that great story yeah. of Alan Border facing him and playing him missing six times in a row and going up to Ian Healy and saying, um, I can't play this leggy at all. And Ian Healy go, <laughs> yeah, I think he's bowling <laughs> off spin, mate. And batters worked that out. So for instance, Anil Kumble, they started playing Anil Kumble like he bowled in swing. Right. Yeah. And, you know, was a Macram with his reverse swing, you know, the famous story with him and Martin Crow, where Martin Crow's like, okay, well, I'm only going to play for the in swinging reverse swing. And if it beats me on the outside edge, it's going to beat me by a foot. So I won't nick that anyway. That's right. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. We know that batters do those sorts of things, whether they could talk us through it or not. This particular one is quite interesting because you have to play him like he's bowling arm balls, except for the fact that he's not bowling arm balls. That he does turn the odd ball. Yeah, but even if you say, okay, I'm going to play for the straight one, they're not straight anyway. They feel straight, but they're not straight. So the whole thing's such a mind fuck, like when you try and think it out tactically. Because you're not trained to gauge that, right? So there's three angles that you have to play with. The first angle is the release angle. The second angle is the angle at which it pitches when it drifts. And the third angle is the angle after pitching. So you're not trained to play with all those three angles. So that's why it's tough to play him. There was one of the dismissals that you talked us through that you thought illustrated this quite well was the Zach Crawley one. Zach Crawley dismissal. Yeah, could you take us through that one? Yeah, so basically I have a plot of the ball path for that dismissal. So the ball is delivered like an away spinner, but it starts wobbling mid-air, reducing the purchase of the surface. It actually turns outward, but the delivery angle means that the ball is still going 0.05 degrees into Crawley. So basically, he is bolded from such a sharp angle that although it's turned 1.75 degrees outward, it's still going in. The other factor which I don't talk about in this, I think, is the lift, which we'll talk about later, yeah. But the factor of the line and the angle is shown in this kind of dismissal. That you can see that you play for the line of the ball, but the angle keeps carrying it inward, and you can't do anything about it. Mm. There's a couple of other really interesting ones about what he's done, which is, you talked about him before being a limited overs bowler. That's how we kind of all knew him. I remember when he played in those tests, some of the guys that I was chatting to at the time were like, like he's an underrated T20 player, which I think he was. Now he's probably Mm. rated correctly based on a different format, weirdly enough. Mm -hmm. But because he's a tall, accurate, and we'll get to the accuracy in a moment, but because he's a tall left-arm finger spinner, he never flights the ball. Like it doesn't come out of his hand. I don't think people understand that even bowlers who bowl quicker. So someone like Rashid Khan who bowls quite quick, the ball still has a little bit of a loop out of his hand. He flights the ball because he's a leggy. He has to flight it. He can't dart it inward. And Matt Parkinson's obviously another one. He does it a lot slower. But even if you watch, and I've told people this before, one of the best places to watch Nathan Lyon is from side on. He has a very similar loop to a club off spinner Mm -hmm. in that the ball comes out of his hand and then it drops really savagely at the end. Left arm finger spinners, I think, are generally a little bit flatter. You know, you do get more of the Paul Harris and Ashley Giles type. You also get more of the Vittori, Monty Panasar type, who are tall, stronger guys, right? They're a little bit flatter. But even compared to them, I would say that I've almost never seen Akshar Patel flight a ball. And that's the other graph in my plot, where I was looking at the vertical component of the release velocity, and usually you have about half and half. So half the balls are flighted and half aren't. All his balls were darted downward. So the vertical component was always downward. So we call him a darter, but he's actually literally darting all his deliveries. And I was talking to Karthik Krishnaswamy of Cricket Info about this. And he told me that that means that people won't play him on the front foot because you gauge the foot from the ball, right? So you see a flatter ball and you go on the back foot. And that's what people are doing to him as well. 
Yeah, you see, I suppose it's most common wicket at the moment feels like people trapped on the crease, doesn't yeah. it? It's that ball, as you say, it's definitely not going to bounce over the stumps. It's probably hitting you around the knee roll. You're trapped yeah. on the crease, which doesn't matter as much now to LBW as it used to, but it means that the batter yeah. is playing slightly back to a ball. Slightly back to a ball that should be played fully. Yeah, if you were forward, you'd probably just feel a little bit more comfortable with it, wouldn't you? So again, yeah. that lack of flight. And also, I'm trying to think if there's another finger spinner Probably the only other finger spinner I could think of who had a lot of success without, I was going to say Syed Ajmal because he bowled so quick, but even Syed Ajmal, mm. I would say the ball came in. He used to play the ball. Yeah, I can't think there's been another finger spinner who's been successful without getting the ball above that eye line. For those who've never played against spin, it's that above the eye line. That's hard to track. That really bothers people. Yeah. yeah, so I play spin reasonably well. Mm -hmm. And for me... Once it goes above the eye line, that's not a problem. But as a spinner myself, I can see straight away with a batter that if I'm going up, they're just like, oh, but this is a whole new world, right? They and, just have trouble tracking. Yeah, and so I think different people just have different tracking software in their brain, right? With yeah. him, he's taking what should be an advantage away and he's making, it again, something else. And this is a very one-day style of bowling. And yet, it's so effective for him. Yeah, and so the other thing is because he's tall, right, he doesn't need to flight the ball. If he flighted the ball, he'd overpitch it. So because he's tall, he's already coming from over the eye line when he delivers it downward. So that's one thing to consider that we don't uh, talk about, right? Mm. And yeah, so this thing coupled with lift, now that's the other interesting thing I found out, which really baffled me for a long time, <laughs> because spinners are not supposed to get lift, and yet consistently in my ball tracking data, I see that they get lift on about 40% of their deliveries. Now, that might be because of different reasons. I haven't fully worked it out. Is that but lift because or do you think it's hang time where the ball is bouncing further back than you would expect it to? It's the same thing, right? So, yep. lift okay. will make the ball pitch shorter than you think. Yeah. And lift will make the ball pitch a little fuller than you think. So, on this, and I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but Fred Spoffer invented swing bowling, right? And he was really fascinated and he contacted scientists like yourself. He also studied baseball pitches and he mm -hmm. believed that he could get the ball to swing left, right, down and up. And I always made right. fun of that because I think he was so confused yeah. what he was doing that he didn't know. But chances are maybe what he meant was what you're talking about here, yeah. which is it's not so much that they're actually getting the ball to swing up. It's just that it's not bouncing when you would expect it to bounce. It's just bouncing fuller. Yeah. So basically what lift and dip mean are extra forces on the ball apart from gravity. So if you did not have gravity, then a lifting ball would go up. It's gravity pulling you down 9.8 and lift pulling you up like 1 or 2 that's mm. making the ball pitch a little fuller. So the thing with Akshar is that he gets a lot more lift than other spinners and that might be related to the angle he creates on the pitch because that has something to do with the lift you get. So because of the lift and the darting, what he's doing is he's making the batter go back and then the ball is pitching fuller than it should. So now you're trapped in two ways, right? So yeah. Yeah, if you're automatically going back and it's also even fuller, it's going to be even harder fuller. to play a proper then shot, you're trapped isn't again. it? No, no, it's really interesting. And then we haven't talked about his speed. He's not Syed Ajmal or Rashid Khan. He's not at 100, 105, but he's at 90 kilometers an hour consistently, isn't he? Yeah, his uh, median speed was 90. And the median speed for other slow left-armers is about 83, 84. So he's a little quicker than most. So that makes sense again, because that is what you expect of a one-day spinner. His pace is more like what you would expect of a one-day spinner. 
But right. the other thing that he manages to do, which is very important, is the accuracy, right? It's obvious how accurate he is. I've obviously done a fair bit, you know, of just sharing his pitch maps, but you looked into it very specifically compared to other finger spinners. I think it was your pitch map that prompted me to look at that that way. Because, you know, spin is a one-length art. Like, mm. there's one perfect length for spin. So by looking at the variance of the lengths of bowlers, you can gauge their accuracy. And he turned out to be the most accurate. So his variance is, I think, 0.85 meters or something. Zulfikar Babar is 0.88. Ragen Oja is 0.9 and so on. So he is legit the most accurate in terms of length, which was surprising to me. Because the numbers confirm what we'd all been thinking before. So in addition to all of these anomalies, he's doing the fundamentals very well, which is pitching the ball at the right length consistently. So it's harder to play him. Yeah, I think with that specifically, he has such a good natural length. If you think of Harath or Oja or some of the other bowlers, they probably have to bowl slightly different lengths on slightly different pitches against slightly different batters. And the easiest way to point this out is if you're, um, uh, what it was Embaldinia who played against Joe mm. Root, right? He would have had to have bowled slightly fuller or slightly shorter to Joe Root at times, depending on the sweep yeah. shot, right? He doesn't yeah. have a choice. If Joe Root can sweep him off his normal length, he has to change it. As you said, they're one length bowlers, but there's probably just a little split that they have to have. You cannot right. sweep him because of his height. And yeah. also, yeah. my guess is, the more I read your piece, I was thinking, okay, my first thought was you can't sweep him because of his height, which makes sense. That's a normal thing. But the other thing is, if the ball is genuinely just a little bit fuller than you expect it to be, when you try and sweep him, he's actually got a chance of beating you under the bat and on top right. of the bat, right? And then the third thing is that because he doesn't spin the ball away from the stumps, so he's either spinning the ball and it's hitting leg stump, or he's spinning the ball and it's hitting off or middle, and then occasionally he's ragging it past off stump. It's very rare, which means that every ball is probably going to hit your stumps. If you're slog sweeping, again, you have a lot of trouble with that, don't you? So you basically can only play him straight. Yeah, and that's also troublesome because of the lift, right? Because you see, what happens when a spinner bowls, right? When you get dip, the dip is supposed to make the ball pitch a little shorter and beat the outside edge or the inside edge, right? So the dip, aids the spinner in changing the length of the pitch and therefore increasing the distance between the pitching point and the edge of the bat, mm. which makes you catch the edge, right? Because the ball will travel more distance from the pitching point now. Now, because lift does the opposite thing and he is beating the edge without turn, so he is actually being aided by the dip in beating the inside edge. Mm. because the dip is making the ball carry on with the angle without pitching. So that's the other thing. You have to play him straight, but it's very, very hard to gauge all these subtle variations in the air at that speed. Now, here's the other interesting one. We've said all this, and I think both of us agree that it's not that his bowling average isn't a fluke, because it is at a certain point, because obviously, was it against New Zealand? He took a five-wicket haul and his bowling average went up, right? So mm. we know yeah. that... You know, it's going to be very hard for him. We also know against New Zealand that when the pitch wasn't as conducive to him, he didn't look... And your numbers don't include the... Second new, test. Yeah. Second test from New Zealand, which is the one he struggled in, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. My question is, looking at these numbers, let's say I'm an international batter. Let's pretend I could, in fact, do any of that. And I'm facing him in England or Australia or South Africa or the West Indies. Surely I just play him as a straight bowler in those situations for the first three days. He shouldn't be able to cause me as much problems as he does in Asia. 
Right. So comparatively, it'll be lower, but still, I think the anomalous angle is a bit of a problem to navigate. Mm. Right. You could play him as a straight bowler, but those angles are very, very sharp. So you'll have to adjust something. Right. But on the basis of what I've uncovered about him, because he's doing things in the air mm-hmm. rather than off the pitch, he shouldn't have that much of a problem overseas. He should be able to get some purchase overseas in terms of wickets. Yeah. In Australia, I don't know because in Australia you need dip to create bounce. Then again, he has height, he has the speed. Maybe he doesn't need the dip. So it's a very fascinating sort of evolution for his career. That my prediction is that because he does things in the air, he'll be a little more successful than conventional finger spinners overseas. I mean, that's really interesting. So my thought was that you know if you go back to the deviation between pitching and the stumps uh, mm-hmm. that we talked about, so where Jack Leach is basically straightening the ball eight, nine centimetres, the same as Monty Panasar and Pragyan Oja. And then his ball's actually going further in towards the right-hand at 18 centimetres. Yeah. If that's the case, I could see how he could beat them in the air, but I just wonder how he can create the same sort of killer angle. So what you have to do to be a top test spinner everywhere is have a stock ball that consistently puts people in danger at all times, right? That's the thing. Remember when Ajanta Mendes came through and everyone got really excited and it's like, yeah. guys, he doesn't have yeah. a stock ball. Right. Yeah. Once people start to work him out, he will come back. The interesting thing with Akshar is whether, as you said, because he does so much in the air, and we know that he's coming from higher and he's coming from wider, so there are other mm-hmm. things going on there as well, but whether his actual stock ball is going to put people in as much trouble. I still don't think people will feel that comfortable sweeping him, yeah. but I wonder if you could almost play him, like again, not maybe like an in-swing bowler, but like a left-arm bowler, medium pacer coming around the wicket, and you're punching him straight and then through mid-on on the angle, if that makes sense. And if that is a possibility, I don't know. I mean, so like, you'll have to recalibrate your expectation of where the ball will turn, like, or, yes. or how much it will turn. In Asia, there is always the threat of the ball turning out. Whereas abroad, you're saying that it won't turn out that much, so I can play him as a straight, uh, you know, thing. Yeah. Which is fair, like, I get the point of that. So it remains to be seen whether people will be successful doing it. I see the point of that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. A lot of what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but you got to remember that one thing that Test cricket has that baseball and T20 cricket doesn't have is that you face someone a lot and you're also you're not trying to hit right. them out the park. So Lasif Malinga was a good Test bowler, but he didn't have that same explosive ability. There needs to yeah. be that extra threat there. And, like, Anil Kumble was a great Test bowler. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But on the first three days of a Test match where he didn't get any assistance... You could at yeah. least go, he's not going to be a part of it. All that is really interesting. The other thing I wanted to ask you is whether in your numbers you had a look at the pink ball test and if he did anything differently. My memory of the pink ball test is he took all the wickets in that test match, even when England were bowling. I had a look at it and I think that, so the first thing people ask me about this is, so people often say that the pink ball skids on more. I didn't see any anomalous numbers when I checked his ratio of post-bounce to pre-bounce velocities. Yep. So that wasn't very different from the usual, but there must have been a lack of turn from the pink ball because it has that lacquer, right? So I haven't checked this test specifically. I've been meaning to do it because people ask me, but I haven't. But I think the lack of turn must be coming from that sample. And because he relies on lack of turn to beat the inside edge of the right-hander, that's why he got a lot of wickets in that test. I haven't looked at the numbers specifically, but yeah. In terms of losing less space of the pitch, I don't think he's anomalous. He just bowls very quickly. That particular ball, so it's not 
a pink ball that's used right across the world. Right. And so I think the other game, when uh, it was the Seamus who took all the wickets anyway, wasn't it? Yeah. So we, we don't know that much about that particular pink ball. My memory of watching it, though, was this is skidding on or this yeah. is doing something that it just the way that the batters were playing it, it felt a little bit more unnatural than a red ball. Mm. Having said that, though, how much of that is just your natural bias of it's pink and no one's hitting it, so it must be the ball rather than yeah. because he was unhittable in other games as well. As well, uh, yeah. It's so remarkable to think that so many things have gone right with him in sort of one period mm. of time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we said before, the angle, the height, the lift, the spinning inwards, the DRS, the accuracy that he probably got because he didn't want to get smashed out of the park in the IPL, the extra pace that he's been bowling with because he hasn't played as much in first-class cricket. He's such a fascinating um, thing. But the reason we know about all this, of course, is because you were able to take that data off the BCCI website, right? Like it was available for five tests and then they took it all down, which very much annoyed me. And they've done the same with Cricket Australia. The problem is that your article, it's the possibility of, I don't want to say the missing link, but it could actually help cricket teams, your article. Like they could look for similarities. And if you've done it with Akshar Patel, you know, who's, who's the next bowler that we're looking at? What's Scott Boland doing differently, right? We already know right. little bits from what Crickviz have done, but Crickviz is like one tiny company. As good as you are, you're not the only person that would be able to do this, right? And it's just, it's a lack of information. And so for the boards to take this away from us, it means that we know less about cricket and they know less about cricket. You know, when I got this data, I was like a kid with a Christmas gift <laughs> because I was able to confirm all the physics and everything you'd ever thought about the ball from this data. And it's still up there somewhere hidden. It's not on the public facing website. It's still up there, but it's a damn shame that they've taken it off now. And they're not recording it for any matches now. So you can't find it. And the first thing when I found this data was that you can tell the story of what's happening better. Because a lot of the times you record outcomes in cricket, which doesn't tell the whole story. And so this coupled with what the batter is doing, like short type data, can basically tell you everything about what's happening on the pitch. And that's why it's such a fascinating and such a powerful uh, medium of looking at the game. And I'm absolutely gutted that it's gone. I rant about it for half an hour every day almost. (laughs) But yeah, we do have a lot of data. I uh, do have a lot of IPL data, which I'm beginning to analyze now. So yeah, I wouldn't say I stumbled across it because I was looking for it. Because they had the Hawkeye viewer on the website, so they would have to have that data somewhere. So I found it in October, I think, and I've been waiting to like use it for something. And this was the first thing because Akshar was so fascinating for people that I wanted to use this data for that. But yeah, it was amazing to find it because it's very fascinating. You can plot the entire trajectory of the ball and you can see how much is drifting and swinging and dipping and lifting and so on. So you can tell the whole tale of the ball with this data, but now they've taken it away. So like you had to make do with what you have. I'd be fascinated if you could find it in the IPL data would be Malinga and what his balls do when they're going down towards anyone else. I tweeted about that recently. So because he bowls with a wide arm and he throws it like a saucer, right? He gets less lift than most. So he gets the least lift out of all the pacers in the IPL. So pacers get lift because they backspin the ball. He gets some lift, but it's the least out of all the pacers who have a sample in the IPL. So, sorry. So you're saying that for a pace bowler, if they want to bowl fuller, they bowl Mm. with more backspin on the ball. More backspin. But they can't control that. It's a natural thing. 
So when a pace well, bowl, you say that I have talked to bowlers who think that is something that they can control. So oh, they talk about great. that with a heavy ball. If they can put more backspin on it when it hits, it bounces slightly higher. That's Ian O'Brien's theory yeah. that he's looked at, which is slightly different again with what you're talking about there. But that's where that heavy ball thing comes mm -hmm. from. The ball bounces more steeply and hits higher up your bat, and they think that that's controlled by the backspin. Well, that is the opposite of what actually happens because when you bowl topspin, that's what I thought. The ball dips and bounces more because of that. If you impart more backspin on the ball, the ball will land shallower on the pitch instead of steeper, and yeah. it will bounce less as a consequence. That's what I always thought because I play tennis, and that's what you do with slice in tennis. But certainly, there are bowlers that believe that. It's also very fair to say that I talked to a former international fast bowler recently, and he said, yeah, you have to remember that about 80% of us just run in and bowl fast because that's what we did when we were kids. Yeah. So there's a lot of that out there. Like, it'd be interesting if you could get Akshar Patel to talk about this, how much of this he even knows, right? Like, Right, so a few months ago, I wrote about Ashwin, and I was watching a lot of his interviews. So he bowls a backspinning carrot ball. Yep. And what he said was that that ball swings. No. He said it drifts, but it actually swings. So they know a little bit, like people like Ashwin who are nerds will know a little bit, but they don't know the actual physics of it. Yeah, Ashwin's not a real person. You can't just yeah. say, oh, Ashwin knows. And it's like, <laughs> but that would be really interesting. So for instance, I was thinking about, you know, someone like Suleiman Ben, who, how tall was he? Six foot seven, six foot eight. His release point must have been the tallest in cricket, right? Now, right. we didn't know anything about release heights at that point, right? We now mm -hmm. know. Suleiman Ben was obviously a bit of a loose unit. And one of my favorite moments was when he tried to trip over Brad Haddon on the field. Like he was, <laughs> but imagine being able to say to him, okay, we now have this information. You're coming from close to the stumps or in the middle of the stumps. Cause that's where you've been taught. How about if you come wider and have you thought about bowling this? What are they? Uh, they call it the UFO or the undercutter, right? Mm -hmm. Just very, very simple, different changes here. Yeah. What could we do? Because this is the thing that cricket's really smart in some ways. And obviously, because we didn't have information like you have, we've always limited a little bit. But we have known fundamentally, like if you have a look at the average heights of left arm finger spinners and off spinners, I promise you left arm finger spinners would be two or three inches taller. We've always mm. known that there is a tactical advantage to having a left arm finger spinner who's a little bit taller. Now, mm. why? We probably never knew. There was no reason for that. But there is absolutely no doubt that that has happened I love talking about this sort of stuff with people in cricket. Like I'll use your article to talk to some of my spinner friends and, and talk to them. And like, they'll be sitting there going, ah, that and then they'll go off on it. And they already kind of half know it, yeah. but they can't commit to it. Whereas imagine if you went to Akshar Patel now and Akshar Patel's agent, if you're listening, he's available for calls and for consultancy <laughs> fees. But if you went to him now and fully explain that to him, he would know exactly what to do. And what, your yeah. piece does is basically what the book, The MVP Machine, talks about with pitchers. Mm -hmm. Pitchers knew the basics, but they didn't know what to commit to. And you could go back to a pitcher and just say, okay, when you do this with your hand, the ball drops from here to here, and yeah. the batters can't hit this. When you don't do this with your hand, the ball doesn't drop as much, and they're smashing you out the park. Right? And that isn't you or me saying to them, oh, this is how you do it. That's literally saying, yeah. this is the facts. I've now shown you the video, and I've shown you the science. You now have to decide how to you know, make sure that doesn't happen. And so, like you said, right, this is the future of cricket writing, you said, but this is the future of cricket coaching as well. Yeah. Because this is helping you quantify everything properly, right? So, more and more people should have access to this data and more and more people should learn how to use this data because all the things that we talk about as, you know, cliches or as hearsay in cricket 
you can confirm all of that with this and you could coach using it and you could analyze using it it's like beautiful beautiful well enough said thanks for coming on the podcast thank you at the time i recorded this i did think it was the boards who took down all the hawkeye data i knew that the bcci had already been pretty good at stopping people from using those however Having looked back at actually what happened with all these websites, I now believe it was Hawkeye who took down all the public databases to protect what they would see as their property. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears, and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by The Red Crickets.